We are back with another episode of the Black Box Podcast. I'm your host, Ahmed. And I'm your host, John. And we got another interview, this time with an older friend of mine. You know, we were able to reconnect. His name's Sean McGee. He has, for only being 23, a good amount of experience in, you know, managing and coaching basketball. He was the head manager on Marist while he was attending there for his undergrad. He was a graduate assistant coach for Manhattanville, and he just recently accepted another job at another really great Division Three program. And he also started up this team that competes in TBT, the basketball tournament, which is a, a yearly tournament held on ESPN. And his team is partnered with the JCK Foundation for Mental Health Awareness. So we just get into all that stuff, how he was able to get to this point and, you know, on his own almost with help of people that he got involved building up that team, which is pro level competition. And I just think that was really cool. Interesting perspective for a coach. We haven't had that on the podcast yet. So hopefully you guys can pick something out of that. And I thought it was really good. Yeah, no, it's just another really great example of how Sean's story, though, like, like his entrepreneurial ventures, like though he's, he's not like, he's not creating something that he's trying to sell to other people, but he's still starting something and he is managing all the moving parts of, of this team that he's building or um, the, the coaching positions that he's going for. And it's a really great conversation, Sean. Thank you so much again for coming on. And uh, yeah, we hope you guys like this one. Um, Let's do it. We're super excited to, uh, announce on black box that we have our first advertisement and it is with our very own podcasting platform zencaster which is what we've been using since day one to record remotely with our guests uh, and they become a new sponsor for the show so tune in check out the podcast discount link in our show notes and stay tuned to hear more about why we love zencaster All right. Uh, hey, Sean. Really appreciate you coming on. Glad we could catch up. I know it's been a while, but you want to just start by introducing yourself a little bit? Yeah, man. No, thanks for thanks for having me on, guys. I, I attempted to coach John way back when, when I started my coaching career. Um, I'm, I'm a graduate assistant at Manhattanville, going to be transitioning to a new job in the NESCAC, which I can't say quite yet. Um, and I do a lot of stuff with, with hoop group and grassroots basketball, as well as a mental toughness team that plays in the TBT that I'm sure we'll, we'll get talking about. Good, good. All right. Uh, yeah, we'll get right into it. Um, what kind of led you to starting basketball? I mean, I know your dad coaches, was he the one that kind of pushed you or was it something you found on your own, just trying sports as a kid? The, the cool thing about my dad is that he never actually pushed me to do it, um, but I, I always loved playing. It was like the the best thing for me, and a big stress relief always. But I I never was too good, if I'll be honest with you. So shout I out to playmaker, exactly. Shout yeah. out to playmakers. But I was always good enough for the playmakers. But I, I went to a big school, Arlington High School, where I was always one of like the last guys cut. Um, and I feel like if I went to a smaller school like Brewster, let's say, like I would definitely make the team. But just it was so competitive since the, there were so many students. So I kind of transitioned that at early age, which you know of. So like ju- starting junior year, I went from playing. I literally gave up playing junior year of high school to 
trying to start learning about coaching and, and being a manager on the team that you played for at Brewster. Um, after that junior year, I really took a step forward and started doing scouting reports, even though they were so bad. But I, I started doing start scouting somewhere. reports and and do, and learning more things about it and talking to my dad and just so involved with it, um, where that's where it really grew, like my passion for coaching. And then I went on to Marist College, uh, and I was the head manager there for three years, and I learned so much. And I, while I was there, I still helped out with Brewster basketball at the same time. So we kind of was like the best of both worlds where I learned – about college basketball and still kept developing my skills as a, as a coach with Brewster. That's awesome. awesome. Was it a, I guess you kind of answered that question already, but you said you had to give up basketball and most of the times for most kids, that's a tough thing to do because yeah. you kind of have to realize or come to terms with maybe this isn't what I'm supposed to do, or maybe this is not what my career is going to end up being. Uh, but it seems like you picked up, the managing stuff and found a passion for it so early did you not really feel that or was there a time that you were actually struggling a little bit like processing that you know what's really interesting is that i think that's the first time i've ever actually been asked that question um i never actually cared that much that i was giving up playing surprisingly because i think i liked coaching so much because even when i was a player i always was sort of like the person who would like hey let's try direct, this. Like, like, i yeah. would know where other players needed to be basically and direct them and like or if i was on the bench and i had advice from for a, a, a teammate of mine i would be like very vocal on like what you should do even though if i wasn't playing um but like i i'd certainly miss the competitive aspect of it because and now it's a little bit different because i'm coaching college players who are way more talented than i ever was but there's times when I'm coaching AAU, for example, where I would love to just go out on the floor as a player and just say, why can't you make this decision faster? And why can't you do this yeah. and this and that? Um, so that part, I, I think I, I can say I can miss. But like when I transitioned from player to coach, and I, I'll t- I say this story to everybody, is I knew I was done playing when I was on the Playmakers Elite team. And I was like the 13th guy on the team, even though I was on the Elite team. And I would play about five minutes a game. And every time I'd get in, I was five foot three, five foot four at the time. Every time I'd get in, they would just yell, post them up, post them up. And I'm like, all right, all right. This, I said, I ain't going to be a Maybe college it's... basketball player or I'm not going to make the NBA. But I could be a college basketball coach or an NBA coach someday if I start really early. And I, and I know it's something I'm really passionate about. So that's kind of where the transition happened. And then obviously it was so easy for me um, since my dad was so passionate about it as well. Like I saw him – from a young age, teach me um, to, to to his efforts with Brewster, and it was just like an ideal thing for me. And like, I'll like it's it's crazy to think because in 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 the moments I probably took for granted sitting on the bench next to him, but like there won't be another time, most likely in my lifetime of coaching, where I'm going to sit on a bench in meaningful games, whether that's high school or college, with with my dad. So that part I really appreciate in my life that I was able to actually coach with him. Um, during my time while I was in high school and then after a while I was at Marist too. Well, yeah, awesome. you, you started early, but I feel like also the fact that he's been doing it for a while before you really got into it, that he could fast track you a bit. And you've clearly made a lot of progress for someone that's only, you're 23, right? 23, a little progress. Still a got a long progress. way to go. <laughs> but to be an assistant coach at 23, you know, coaching like a competitive D3 program. Yeah, yeah. Really we, good. Um, I'm sorry to cut you off, but no, uh, you're good. 
Manhattanville, like we we had a great year. We were seventeen and ten, and we lost to Yeshiva in the final. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. Ryan Terrell. Ryan Terrell. Yeah, he. Um, if you type his name up in the YouTube, the first thing that pops up is he scored fifty one points against us in the regular season. Fifty one. Well, I didn't. I was the most. It was the craziest thing i've seen and most helpless i've felt as a coach as like you didn't there was no adjustments for this he guy. was just going off yeah and like he's gonna earn a summer league he's gonna earn yeah, a summer league spot somewhere and you might um, be the first player to go yeah. from d3 to the nba correct Possibly. um i don't know no technically that might be somebody else that's um duncan robinson might be the first one he's on the miami heat right now but you're he right. might actually be the first orthodox jew in the nba which would be really that's cool. what it was you're right yeah um but we actually made it to the conference finals and we knocked off the number one seed to get there, which was awesome, who was Farmingdale. And then we ended up losing by 30 points in the, in the championship game. But we, we got there. We were just a little bit outmatched. Um, they were just so talented. And they had a guy who was probably going to get, you know, NBA look. So it, it was hard for us. But we had a great season. And then now I'm, I'm going to be moving on to a school that I think is, you know, even more competitive for me. And, you know, I, I, like you said, I'm only 23, like I'm doing a, I think I'm doing a pretty good job. Um, sometimes I'm a little too hard on myself, but I guess we all are sometimes. Yeah. I actually, I have questions about basketball coaching and the importance of it. Um, from the, like the most I've been on like a basketball team was I played for like a church league for a few months and like, that was it. Um, but like in the NBA, there are all of these stats for the players and the teams and like a franchise history, blah, 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 right? Sure. But then there are also stats for coaches and like what they were able to accomplish. Like as a coach yourself, um, what do you think the coach's impact on a game is? Because I know, I know it's probably a lot, but could you try and put it into words? Yeah, that's a that's a that's a loaded answer I'm gonna give, but it's not so much uh, statistically what a coach can impact because the impact of a coach goes well beyond the game. The game is actually just sort of like a microcosm of what a really good coach actually is. Uh, it's it's more or less the relationships you build with the players. How, what are you getting done in practice to get better with your weaknesses, and how are you keeping your strengths the same or improving your strengths? And then how are you keeping the cohesive cohesiveness of the guys too? So like you can have, there's so many talented teams that underperform when there isn't necessarily a good enough coach to, to keep them together and, and make the guys really lock in. Um, and like, I've seen that with other teams. I've, I actually saw it at Marist where I thought we had a lot of talent where, where they just didn't come together. And I'm not saying that it's the coach's fault, but it's just a, a a whole team's fault if that makes sense but to sort of answer your question i think good coaching really can buy a team about 10 to 14 points and i think a lot of the score is dependent on the players and the level of talented players you have and the iq of them like if you have five guys that are going to do anything for each other and fight for each other for a whole 40 minutes and then they're, they're just so on the same page. It's really, as a coach, they're almost out on the floor and you're just watching them dictate and control what you want to do. And you gave them principles to follow, but they have the freedom to go make decisions for themselves 
inside what you taught, if that makes sense. I know that can be a little bit confusing, but in terms of in the game, when you know you always have an impact every second, whether that's you calling out a certain play because it's something you see, you switching something defensively because you see something, how you guard a certain player. For example, we had a playoff game and we their point guard of the opposing team, we said we're going to go under every ball screen, right? So that's a conscious effort we made that we weren't just like, all right, go out there and just see what's going to happen. We did a scouting report and said this guy, he doesn't shoot off the dribble threes because we saw that statistically, right? And we know he does. And if he does shoot it, we know he doesn't shoot it at a high percentage. So we're going to go under the screens and dare him to shoot. And if he somehow makes five threes off the dribble when we go under ball screens, then then we're going to lose the game. But we're going to be okay with that because we forced them to do something he's not comfortable with. So that's what a lot of coaching goes. Uh, a lot of coaching how coaching can affect the game. Um, and a lot of that is preparation before the game even happens. And then the, and then on top of that, I would say coaches that can adjust on the fly and problem solve on the fly, those ones are the best. Like you can go in with a game plan and then in, in five minutes you're like, oh no, this ain't, this ain't working. And then if you, and the coaches that can adapt are the ones that are really good, but to get their players on the same page at the same time. Um, yeah. sometimes you call timeouts literally just to yell at them to play harder. And then other times you call timeouts to, to, to say, this is what we need to do offensively. We need to get the ball more in the paint and get more paint touches. This guy needs to touch the ball. We got to keep the ball out of this guy's hands. So there's different moments. Um, and the feel it, it's a lot of the, it's a lot of the feel. And I actually had to, I don't know if you guys knew this, but I had to head coach a game this year because my coach got COVID I was just looking uh, through your Instagram profile and, before. Yeah, and uh, that that was one heck of an experience. I didn't even have an assistant to bounce off ideas uh, off. Did you pull of. out the win? I lost by two points. Uh, um, I, I still that's okay. That's a good I start. Still, <laughs> I still think <laughs> keeps about you up it. at night. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, lost by two points, but it was a really great battle. We were actually down twelve points in the second half and came back and we're up by three and then we let it we let it get away, but. Um, like just from that game alone, and I only co- head coach one college game, I learned like how to talk to officials, how to communicate with your guys. Um, I'm, I, I feel like I'm a players oriented coach um, where like even at, during a timeout, I'm like last possession of the game. I said, what defense do you guys want to play? You guys want to play zone or man, whatever we're going to, whatever you guys decide, you know, that's what we're going to go with it. I probably shouldn't have listened to them because they ended up scoring, but I, I like to I like to you know at the end of the day it's the players team uh, and the coaches is just kind of there to to manage it but it's the players that are gonna really lift the program up um, to meet its potential um, yeah it's just a balance it's a balance because you want to give the players as much say as possible because then they'll be more bought in if you're just yelling and commanding people all the time no one's gonna be bought into anything yeah but at the same time if you let them do too much then Sometimes you see something different than they're seeing when they're on the court. So you got to let that be known as well. I've just learned from being in it, you know, as a manager for three years and now assistant coach for two years, the relationships you build are are the most important things. Like no, no player is going to play hard for you if you don't, if you don't have that trust. So I'd say trust, loyalty and relationships buildings, which have nothing to do with coaching and X's and O's is probably the most important things to do with coaching. Yeah. Okay. All right. So two, two follow-up questions and the questions are not related, right? So 
Oh, I guess I'll ask the easier question first. Um, how how do you incorporate film into your coaching and your training? Mm-hmm. And uh, second question is, is there a coach in the NBA or in the NCAA that you look up to and you think is like a great, great coach? Or even the WNBA. Or WNBA. Or WNBA. Or high um, school. I mean, whatever it is. <laughs> for sure. For sure. So first first question was about film. Um, from high school to college, film or the level of which you use film Nine day. It's 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 actually kind of crazy. Um, and I honestly still have to get better as it at it as a young coach. I you know, in high school, you know, John w- would tell you we watch a lot of film on this thing called Huddle. Um which is a very simple thing where you can record high school games and watch it. You can cut it up. Um, and some, some colleges actually do use that, but most colleges use this thing called synergy, which it basically, you upload your MP4 file game to it and you, the, the software will cut up the game for each play and basically stat it. For example, let's say you, uh, we played a game and we, we upload the film. Then in like a day or two, I will have access to that film and the stats will be uploaded to the team account. So every NCAA team has an account. So if I wanted to right now, I could go look up Duke stats, um, for example, and I can look up as a team, how effective are they in pick and roll situations or ball screen situations? Do they, do they, are they below average and, and average like 0.5 points per possession possession, or are they excellent and average like 1.2 points possession every time they use a ball screen? So like, and then I can click on it. It's like a link. I can click on it and it can show me every single time they've used the ball screen the whole season. So like that part is really cool. Um, in terms of like what technology can do and the software it can do. It's data and then, analytics. And the analytics of it too, yeah. because we can, like, for example, I talked about how we made the guy, we made the player um, in the opposing point guard. We went under all the ball screens. We did that because we saw the statistics of it to say he doesn't shoot it that well. And obviously my coach was really cool where the fact is I, w- I was actually more a statistics person. Um, it makes sense. I got the glasses. I was a manager. He, he was more, <laughs> you know, watch the game. And I, I do the same thing. I watch the game, you know, statistics can't tell you everything, right? Like if you just go based off the statistics for everything, you won't be a good enough coach and you won't have a good enough feel because same, same thing when you're a head coach and you're making those, those game time decisions, I'm not looking at statistics when there's five minutes left in the game and saying, Oh, I got to do this because of statistics. I'm, I, I can't even have enough time to think to, I just have to make a decision that I think is the right one in the moment. Um, but before statistics is probably the big before the game and preparation statistics is probably the biggest thing and we'll watch so what we'll do is we'll watch individual individually what players like to do and how they like to score does a player always rip to his right hand does a player always like to do a dribble pull up instead of get to the basket for example so that that way it can help the, the our defender guarding him know what he wants to do and then overall as a team we'll watch film let's say like 10, 20 minutes of a team that we're about to play and say these are the sort of offensive sets they like to run. Defensively, they play, sometimes they'll go into a zone, sometimes they'll do this, this is how we want to, want to attack it. So film is just so, so important in college basketball. When I was at Marist, that was my biggest duty. So I would film all the games, and the, and they would film practices too in Division One, and they would go in, and they would even stat the practices 
um, to get a better, oh, wow. to get yeah. And it, and it's that, it's that detailed in division one. Um, division three is a little bit different um, because you don't have as, as much resources, but division one, you would even stat practices. They would cut up the practice film to show players what they can do better. If they had a mistake, they would cut it up, show them, do, you got to do this. If they had a good thing, you know, you're doing this good. You got to keep doing that. Um, but film is just such a vital part um, of basketball in college and in pros. It's even crazier where you talked about um, NBA assistant coaches. I think those NBAs in NBA, like I think an assistant coach has like three players that they're in charge of. And then there's a film guy with them on top of it. So it's like they all have like their own coach basically and a film guy with them to go over. And you'll see them with the tablets on, the, on behind the bench. Like the the film in the NBA, they cut it live in game. So like halftime, I'm they'll pull I'm it up and be positive. like, "Hey, look at this! You exactly. you did this well, but oh wow, exactly. that's insane!" Like in in the middle of the game, they will watch film, or at halftime, or in between the quarters, they will watch film, um, and they have people that cut it up in real time. Now in college, especially in Division three and and even in Division one, that's not as le- in high Division one that probably happens, but. In mid-major Division One, that that probably doesn't happen as as much, uh, but still, it's a huge part of the game. Podcasting remotely can be challenging, but with ZenCaster, the product that we use to record our episodes, it doesn't really have to be. ZenCaster's all-in-one web-based solution makes the process pretty quick and painless, which is you know the way we really want it to be. If you've been listening to the Black Box for a while now, you know that we constantly talk about how we want to bring the best quality and the best content for our listeners, you guys. And with Zencaster, they provide crystal clear sound and gorgeous HD video for us as we record our episodes with our guests. Uh, not to mention it's easy to use. That's why we really like it because instead of having to coach you know, guests on how to set up a podcast if they haven't been on one before, we basically just say show up with a mic and a, a computer and you're good to go with Zencaster. Zencaster is all about making your podcast experience easy and with everything from local recording to automatic post-production tools, if you want to use those, uh, you don't even have to leave your browser to get the entire episode done. If you go to zen.ai slash blackbox and enter our promo code blackbox, you'll get 30% off on your first three months of Zencaster Pro. That's zen.ai slash blackbox, B-L-A-C-K-B-O-X. It's time to share your story. And then your second question was... Favorite yeah, that was coach. a while ago. <laughs> It was a while ago. What was the second question? I know Who's I talked to favorite, a lot. Favorite coach out of oh. any any league uh, in basketball? So before he stopped coaching and took a GM role, it was in the NBA it was Brad Stevens um, of the Celtics. I always loved how he was one. He I always looked up to him because he was one of the youngest coaches um, to be a head coach in the NBA, and I always kind of been like, well, why can't that be me? Um, and so I always looked up to him in that way. And he always got his teams to play fundamental, solid basketball and really, really compete on the defensive end, which, you know, sometimes it is way easier said than done, especially in the NBA when you have these talented players that kind of want to do their own things. Um, and then I would say in the NCAA, who actually he just retired, was uh, Jay Wright of Villanova. Um, he was another person. All his players, they play really solid basketball everything they do is is fundamentally solid they if they if they drive into the paint they always play off two feet and they kick out and they never take a defensive possession off even when their offense isn't going right um in terms of a WNBA coach actually 
uh, Bill Lambeer, he actually did play in the NBA. He played with the Detroit Pistons back in the day, and he coached the New York Liberty for a while. And I think he's coaching the Vegas Aces right now, if I'm mistaken. But he's a real he he um he's a very interesting coach um in how he coaches. He's very demanding. Um, and I actually went and saw a Liberty game years and years ago, and, and got to go to his press conference. And it was it, he's a, he's a, a very unique guy. But um, <laughs> but those are those are three coaches I, I like. For me, I, I like the coaches that know that it's more than just basketball. You're, you're coaching more than just basketball. Like Villanova for Jay Wright, for example, he was coaching these players not for basketball but for life. Um, and all his players are just so prepared for life after after their four years there that it's crazy. Um, and it's kind of sad. This is a different topic, but it's kind of sad that you know the kind of the reason he retired is because I don't. I think he doesn't like where college basketball is heading with NIL and people more or less using that as a way to buy players. So I think he just felt like it's kind of time for me to go. And he had a great career and made a lot of money. Um, but he was definitely one of the greatest, one of the greatest coaches in, in college basketball and definitely one of my, one of my favorites for sure. I'm actually reading his book right now. What's the name of the book? It's called attitude. So it's, it's about building like a winning culture over, over his time and kind of like his lifespan as a coach. Yeah. Positive environment. That people yeah. are all helping each other out. <laughs> awesome. Sick. Uh, I just myself of water. <laughs> <laughs> those Gatorade bottles. Yep. Yeah. People in school would come behind you and just squirt them on you. <laughs> uh, I wanted to... Yeah, I think this would be a good time. We can start talking about the mental toughness team. Sure, yeah. Whatever you want to do. Yeah, so... from To my knowledge, and our little conversation before this, so I'm not going to claim like I've been doing crazy research, but I did my fair share and I've been following you. But uh, you started this up with, I guess, the the coach of Marist. So really, or, really, it was my own idea. First. You just needed to get people involved because you and, know you can do it alone. Exactly, exactly. Which um, is how people, like people that realize that and aren't afraid to ask for help usually see quicker success than people that try to do it completely on their own which you can get into now, but you've seen good success with it. Yeah, no, I mean, you, you basically, you basically answered my, or answered the question for me is I think um, you, it's very hard in, in entrepreneurship or in coaching to do anything on your own. Like you're always going to need, and even in life, like you're always going to need help from somebody. Um, And for me, like if I had to do mental toughness and I just did it myself and I wanted to be the head coach myself, I wanted to be the GM myself and I had to go out and get all the players myself, there would, I wouldn't even be talking about mental toughness because I wouldn't, I wouldn't have gotten into the tournament. Um, that being said, basically once I made the team, I said, all right, I got the idea. I've kind of pitched it to the people running the tournament. They see them on board. Now I have to go make this thing a reality and it, and it's borderline insane um, for a 22 year old to get a team into the TBT, let alone, a, you know, with no help. What is TBT? So the TBT, I'm sorry, I should have said that the TBT stands for the basketball tournament. So it's a basketball tournament on ESPN every summer. And the winner of the tournament gets a million dollars to split amongst the team. That's awesome. Which is, which That's is cool. So what we did was, you know, we beforehand um, 
said if if we won this this amount of money would go to this player and then if we did win fifty thousand dollars was going to go to the jck foundation which we were partnered with so that was that was really cool too um and just working with them and getting their name out more because we you know it's just so cool it's just so cool with what what they do for for middle schools and high schools in the in the area and even worldwide i, I was talking to you about sweden before and they go to, in, to into these schools and talk about different ways students can handle mental health struggles and and if they need help how to reach out and things like that so just from it all coming together i you know went from an idea to asking a friend for help then get into the maris coach then getting a head coach um and then and then basically from there just like getting into the work recruiting um, players and recruiting players that was a big thing of it recruiting players building a fan base exactly we had the we had to really focus on marketing because that was one of the biggest things the tournament cared about was you know if you even if you had the best team in the world um if no one knew about you and no and you had no fans then you weren't going to get into the tournament so like just how i told you before if we had no players we weren't going to get into the tournament if we had no fans we weren't going to get into the tournament either so it's like you have all this stuff going on you're worried about do you do we have enough talented players for us to get accepted do we have enough fans to get accepted um and then on, on the same time, at the same time while that's going on, you got, oh, my God, we got to fundraise $12,000 to help fund the team. Um, so it's like I kind of just threw myself into the fire because I had this idea in March. And then all of a sudden, you know, it seems like a long time from March to June 15th or July. Um, June 15th was the deadline for everything. And it's the same thing this year. And then we played July. And it's like it seems like it's a, far, a long time, but I also had – Manhattanville stuff. I had hoop group stuff. So it's like school, still school at this exactly getting my masters. And it's like through all that, I found time to try to be the GM of this team and make the make it uh, an actual reality. And it was a little bit scary because we we're like, are we going to get in? Are we not going to get in? Like it's really competitive. Um, and even this year, there's supposed to be like 150, 170 teams applying for technically only like 30 spots because 30 of the, of the 64 spots are already taken by teams who won the first round last year, they made that like a thing. Um, Does it so help we, that you already got in last year, even though yeah, you didn't so, maybe get past the first round? Yeah. So we had a really good showing the first year where we only lost. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with how they do it. They, they, they score it by this thing called the Elam ending. So the last, so uh, to explain it, the last four minutes of the game, they stopped the clock and let's say we were up. Well, we, I'll, I'll give you the exact scenario. We were up, 65 64 with four minutes left to go so the at they add eight points to the team who's winning so the target score was i'm sorry actually we had 67 it was 67 66 so the target score was 75 and so we had to score eight points the other team had to score nine points and this other team had players like Derek Williams, Terrence Jones, who all played in oh, the yeah. NBA at one point and now are not. So they were they were favorites. They were a four seed. We were a 13 seed. So we were supposed to have no chance at all. But meanwhile, we ended up losing on a last second bucket. The target score was 74, uh, 75. It was 74. It was 74, 73 them. And they ended up getting a layup to make it 76, 73. And that was the game. But we made it a three point game. So playing that close and having 
having a really fun game um, is definitely going to help us. And I don't really have a worry about getting accepted back into the tournament because I've been talking to them and it looks like we're a lock. Um, but like we still got to do our job and getting good players and marketing it. And I think, I think we're doing just that. Like we're really active on social media. We're doing two basketball camps in June and a fundraiser. And we're doing a lot of virtual fundraisers at the same time. So that part is like the true entrepreneurship part of it, which is really cool for me. Cause honestly, so I went to Marist college for sports communications and journalism, but if I wasn't going to do that, I was going to go for business. Um, and I, and I guess it, and I, I guess it's good at the same time, but, um, you know, I, I'm managing a team. I'm worried about finances and I actually, I just haven't gotten to it yet, but I'm, I'm trying to, I will at some point, probably after this year, make it into an LLC at the same token. Um, and, and this year I'm still trying to get sponsorships for us so we can have sponsorships on our coaches polos, for example, or our Jersey shorts, Yep. Um, and there's a banner by the bench. So like I'm trying to make, I'm trying to get sponsorships and get a couple thousand dollars to help us with fundraising at the same time. Um, so like all that stuff has to do with business. And a lot of people don't realize that a lot of coaching and even in college has nothing to do with basketball, but it has to do with travel logistics, fundraising, like for the job I'm going to go to now, they, they fundraise hundreds of thousands of dollars. And you wouldn't think that but it's like a huge, huge part of actually coaching is can you get fundraising dollars and do you know how to run a camp and do this stuff? So like it's so much more than just, you know, do you know X's and O's for example? Um, which, which is, which is what, what I think a lot of people don't realize about coaching. Gotcha. All right. Um, so how, where are, where are you now with this? Like, Lead, leading up to it you said it's coming up in a few months yeah. um like how, how do you manage it day to day and are, are you you're done with school now so yeah i finished last week with my master's congrats um, sports business congrats and now i'm i'm really trying to focus on mental toughness and i'm going to be out recruiting a lot for my new job as well so um but it you said how do i manage it sometimes i i I really don't know. Um, sometimes it's, uh, you know, I do my, my whole day of whether that's working for hoop group or doing stuff for Manhattanville where I'm at now. And then it's like, well, I got to find time to talk to people and try to get a player. I got to work on making a pitch deck to um, sell sponsorships. And it's like, I'm just squeezing in time to find the thing that really I wish had all my time. Um, like I wish I could give mental toughness, the team all my time, especially since it's like when it's something you made, it's just so much more important. Um, and that's kind of where I'm at right now. And that's why it's like, I, I really don't want to give it up. My, my dream um, going forward is to be a division three head coach and keep doing mental toughness every single year. So that way I can do coach what I love during the year. And then in division three, there's a down period anytime, anyway. So I can do mental toughness every single summer and still be a division three head coach. That's my dream. I know that was a little bit off topic. Um, no, it's good. But in terms of, of managing it, I, I built a, like a staff this year to help me with it. Like I, I got um, one of my friends who helped me out last year. He's kind of acts as like the director of basketball operations of the team. He's a manager at Marist and he's graduating this year. But he was a head manager there two years. He's going to help me out again. I have a manager at Robert Morris helping me. And then I have um, two assistant coaches, two college assistant coaches 
that have helped me with fundraising and Photoshop, like making graphics. So it's like, I, I couldn't, like I told you about building a team, I couldn't possibly do this all again by myself. So I went out and found people that could help me do it. Um, and, and, uh, like, I feel like that's a big moral of the story too, is, is getting people, you, you're, you're just not as successful as the, the people around you. Like, there's no way I would be functioning right now. If I had to do this all by myself, I'd be, I would, I'd be sleeping like two hours a night. And I just wanted to reiterate one more time that this episode was made with Zencaster and check out our coupon code below if you're interested to utilize their tools. But like for me right now, it's a lot of phone calls with players, convincing them to play with us. It's a lot of communicating with the TBT. What like what do they need from us? And then it's a lot of fundraising, reaching out. And now, now, right now, it's selling camp. So like today, I was on the phone with two AAU coaches saying, "Hey, do you have some players for camps? I'll give them a discount." You know, and, and all this money that I'm making in these camps and and this, I'm doing a three v three fundraiser too of like all ages. Like all this money I'm making this, like I'm not taking any of it. It's just going, you know, it's yep. going straight towards, you know, paying to fund the, for the teams yeah. and, and, and the hotels and everything like that. So um, I, at some point, I really hope that I can make it where like I can take a little bit of it. But like right now, I actually lost a little bit of money last year. This year, I hope to break even. And then the following years, I hope to, you know, it, that, and that's why I'm telling you this, this really is essentially like a startup is seeing how seeing how it's going seeing what works seeing what doesn't work and then just trying to to kind of fill the gaps what as you go and um trial and error yeah it's been you know for me if i waited for everything to be perfect i think that's where people kind of trip up on themselves um in terms of their life or just going and trying to chase something uh if i waited for like a, you know things to be quote unquote perfect i would have never even attempted to try to make a team um you know, I had a lot of people tell me like, you, you're probably wasting your time on this because you're not going to get in the first year. And then at, at, at 22 years old, you know, I, I got the team in, not me personally, but everyone, everyone helping me. Um, and, and it was, it was a very rewarding thing. I remember even after the tournament, I flew back from Wichita. Like I got emotional thinking like, wow, like I, I put this together, like literally from, from scratch. And now it's something I can do year in year out and it's for a cause that i think um needs to be talked about a little bit more and it's one that is really prevalent right now in terms of you know just getting out of covid and 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 it's staggering the the number amount of people that one take their own life and then two the people that like deal with like I shouldn't say simple things, but deal with stress and anxiety that you wouldn't even know. It's like one out of four male adults deal with that. And it's like, if, if it's one out of four, why don't we talk about it more to, to handle it and, and get people resources to do it? And I, I think, you know, my goal with the team obviously is to win and hopefully win the million dollars, which would be, which would be awesome. Right. But I, yeah. I hope we play in it every year to give people hope who might be struggling um, and might, you know, maybe hopefully watching our game gives them a little bit of hope to, to keep fighting if they're struggling and, or to reach out to someone like that's like, that's really the main goal uh, for us. And, you know, like I talked about, like it's, it's, trust me, it's not about the money and it's not about the time because if it was, I would be a terrible businessman. <laughs> I feel like to be honest, it's probably even higher than one in four, but a lot of people are even too afraid to speak up sure. about how they really feel. Mm-hmm. I've I've been open on the podcast about my anxiety, I believe. But if I haven't, then 
I've, I've been struggling with anxiety my whole life, but I've just found ways to cope. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, dude, if no one's told you, I feel like plenty of people have, you should be proud of what you've been able to build in just a short period of time. hundred percent, bro. And I feel like it's one of those things that apart, I mean, the team, as well as your coaching, it seems like you've been able to find what you love that you get up every day and you provide value to other people and you're passionate. And that's when I feel like people are, uh, the best versions of themselves for lack of a better term. Like when you, you're doing something you truly love. And I know everyone says that when you mm -hmm. love what you do, you won't work a day in your life, but just getting up every day and being hungry to actually make an improvement and move the needle and, you know, just do, do a little bit better than you did the day before. And I feel like now, yeah, you've been able to build the foundation the first year. You were able to do the necessary things that needed to be done to bring the team up. But now you're able to focus on those extra things that will push it a little bit further for next year. And then maybe that year you can expand. And then, like you said, at some point, maybe you'll be able to take a little bit from that, but also be able to donate even more. And Yeah. Yeah. So and it is. It, it, it's you know, everyone who starts something, you know, I have all these ideas and I want to get them done you've, right away. But you've also like, been, you've tried other things too. I remember while you were in college at Marist, you were doing something with music. Right? Yeah, that's interesting. You but you've always, you. it seems like yeah. you've always kind of had that entrepreneurial touch where you've wanted to make something for yourself. I always, I've always actually had that, like, I've always liked to create things. Um, whether that was like, so in college, and I'll spend two seconds on it. We were, I was trying to make a music streaming app because one of my friends was a, a, a musician and he had this idea to pay artists, typically artists that aren't the big time artists always get screwed over by Spotify and these music streamers. Yeah. We were going to make an app that uses blockchain, which, which is, you know, synonymous with cryptocurrencies and all that to make sure their data, their royalty payments don't get lost. Um, which happens all the time. And Spotify, for example, has had lawsuits all over it. Um, but we basically wanted to make an app to to be more fair for for artists and make it a more community-minded app rather than you just go to Spotify and listen to music. We want to make an app that you can interact with the artists and have a better um, interaction, if that makes sense, uh, with them. And it, and it was a very full-fledged idea. We actually were – it's funny. I was just thinking about it on the car ride back home today. And I, I'm not going to say we were this close – but we had a prototype with a with a, a company over in London. It's crazy to think that we even we were even talking to a company over in London when I was 19 years old. Yeah. But prototype, uh, and it wasn't exactly what we wanted. But we had a prototype of a company in London. We had several meetings with someone who was about to give us some money, and I would say, you know, we weren't an inch away, but we were we were a yard getting away from, yeah. from almost getting like we were we were really a yard away from almost getting five hundred thousand dollars to actually develop it. Um, which That's is really awesome. cool to think of. Um, and even that, like I didn't necessarily get any money out of that, but I got a lot of experience on how to work with people, how to talk with people. Like we did, I, I might've spent six months just on our five-year projection sheet. And in all honesty, I haven't done that stuff in forever where I kind of forgot it and it would take me a little bit to go back and figure it out. But like just the, the, the invaluable experience and going to different software companies and talking to people, like that's, that's helped me to even be a, a better coach um yeah and it's no. and it's you can always take take experiences from things like that and that's really um like my first entrepreneurial kind of quest i had but like that's why i love the the mental toughness team so much too because that's what it feels like it feels like i'm still building and it feels like there's st still so much room to grow um 
and it's like I've just scratched the surface of it. Uh, oh, definitely. But like it's it, it's but it's frustrating at the same time. It's like because I, I know what I want to do, but I don't have enough time to do it. Um, and that's what that's what we kind of struggle with in terms of entrepreneurs. Um, Until you are able to develop yeah. one of them, one of these things to generate you enough income, exactly, so you don't exactly. have to work a job, and then so you can pursue those grind. things. Yeah. It's a but, huge grind, but it's rewarding at the same time. Yeah. Definitely. No, I, the thing I was going to say, but you're making this this interview easy because you're making the connections for me. But uh, like you could technically, and some people may, from like a large point of view, consider the first thing, the app, a failure. But in reality, you were able to learn all these things that you can then apply to anything. It's not about that plan that you made. It's about the way that you speak to people and you know show up to a meeting and be professional or also just time management because before that you were just doing school. Now you're managing an app and you're trying to communicate with people during class and, you know, mm -hmm. make all these things happen. And those are the most valuable things that any entrepreneur needs at a foundation in order to even make something successful. Cause it kind of requires you to, you know, execute at a certain type of level that most people aren't accustomed to, but we all are capable of. It's just that, you know, maybe sometimes when you just get a job and then you're balancing your family. That's a lot in itself. So yeah, but, we can, yeah, we can talk like all going on. About the, the, yeah. We can talk on, on like the, the thing that, that is probably the one negative from all of this and my time is that like, I really, really wish I got more time to spend with family and friends. Like I'm like my dad, it's hard for me to get like time with my dad, like to spend a day with him and be home. Like, honestly, like whether yeah. I'm out on the road recruiting for the job I have or I'm doing something for mental toughness and running a fundraiser, or I'm doing something for hoop group. Like, like I'm, I'm like kind of stretched out in all these different directions. And it's like almost sometimes family gets lost in the translation. So whenever I spend time with family now, it's very like, intentional, it's like, I'm like almost like soaking it in. Um, Don't even you, bring your phone. What was that? that that's what i've that's what i've been trying to do just because i i'm like moving away from family soon mm -hmm. so if i'm with my family i may not like look at my phone for like hours and i don't know i feel like you get more quality time from that mm -hmm. no i feel the same way especially as i've been picking up all these things podcasts trading also one thing that i found to help a bit is I try to incorporate my dad into these conversations. So I'm telling him what, who I'm recording with for the podcast. I'm telling him how my day trading is going or how my month progress is. So at least then when we talk, we're talking about things that he feels like I'm also passionate about. But that's also why I consider moving back home for the time being because my parents are going to retire soon. Mm -hmm. They're going to move. I don't know if I'm going to move where they are. And yeah, yeah we're, we were the same way. We're close with our family. Yep. Your dad came to you to every basketball tournament, every game. Mm -hmm. So I want to do what I can to make as many more memories as exactly. I can. Exactly. And, and for me, it's like I actually – the the job that I'm going to now is only like an hour and a half away from where – In Connecticut? In Connecticut, yeah. Oh. Yeah, that's okay. We'll, yeah, it's, it's totally <laughs> fine. But yeah, in Connecticut um, – I could always cut if you want. Yeah, you know, don't even worry about it. But – in in connecticut so it's only an hour and a half away so like that was part of like my dad loved that because he's like i'm gonna come to a lot of games but there was another spot up all the way up in maine where i was thinking about and that's five and a half hours away so obviously i wasn't gonna see him a lot and he was like he was like selfishly like i'm really happy that 
you know, you're going to go to the place in Connecticut because, you know, I'll be able to see you still and I'll be able to come to a bunch of games, you know, and, and like, that's the thing, like in basketball, after my time at this place, I could, you know, after two years there, Across the country, I, could, yeah. I could go to Alabama for all I know. Um, and then I'm not seeing my grandparents who obviously are getting old in age and seeing my parents all the time. And like that part, like, that's why they say coaching can be so lonely sometimes um, when you're really chasing it, because sometimes you just got to pack up all your things and go. You think um, ever, you have to be able to risk it all or yeah. else you'll never know. You don't want to live with that regret. And, and that's why way. it's like usually around, usually around 25, 26 is, is when it happens. Um, when coaches that are in it tend to get out is, is usually when it happens. Um, I'm hoping I get past that point. What was that? You're saying get out of coaching completely or I'm saying that's a big thing to happen um in, in the broad in, in coaches in general. So like they get to twenty five, twenty six and they've been working their butt off and they're grinding and yeah. there's not a lot of money in it. And then all of it and, and they get to that point at twenty five, twenty six, they're like, Why am I doing this? Like I it it takes up all my time. I don't get compensated for my time as much as what they should. And then they usually get out of coaching. So I'm saying if I get past 25, 26 and I'm still coaching, then that's a pretty good sign. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah for sure. I guess one, one question, uh, I don't know if, John, you wanted to throw anything in, but something I wanted to ask you before we wrapped up, who do you have coming out of the West and the East in, um, in the NBA playoffs? And who do you have winning it all? I mean, West. I I really do love the Mavericks. Um, in all seriousness, Me too. they don't they don't have a shot. They the Warriors are so good. They're so deep, and their starters aren't even playing that good. They almost won the game the other night when they went it came back from thirty points with their bench players. Um, so the Warriors will definitely win that, and I think the Warriors will actually end up winning the whole thing too. The conference that's actually going on right now is the one that's really interesting. Is the Celtics Heat one? Every single game has been a 20-point blowout in like you one, know, one or the other. by 20, the other one's by 20. And it's, it's, it's probably one of the most bizarre conference final series that, that has ever happened. Um, if you put a gun to my head, I think I'm going to pick the Celtics to edge it out. I, I'd like them a little bit more. But at the same time, the Miami, the Heat, and like Jimmy Butler, Tyler Hero, like they're just scrappy and they find ways to win. Uh, I like them. I like the Heat. But I guess I'll go with the Celtics just because I like them so much. But they, it's like that one, that one's really interesting. Like that could go any which direction. Like that should go to game seven. That should be hopefully not a blowout game seven, but a really fun game seven. Yeah, I feel like a blowout, a blowout game We got enough of a blowout game seven this year. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, the other series going on right now too is not like the games have been extremely close right oh yeah, no even they've in the been Mavs, a, yeah. even in the Mavs series it's been lopsided and and the Warriors win by it then the Mavs win by it so they, the all the all the games really haven't been that competitive game to be honest. it was game four the, yeah you know the Mavs were up for 30 40 points, points at one point and then the Warriors came back a little bit towards the end but yeah. the Mavs opened it back up but yeah I don't know when people will view this but they'll look back on it and laugh we'll see who won <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I'm saying I'm saying Warriors and Celtics in the finals, and I think that would be a really good matchup. Hey, I'll take it. I'd I be fine with it. anyone. Good teams right now. I'm I'm okay with whatever. Yeah. 
Jason Tatum is insane. He, he's so talented. He's really fun to watch. He's he's about our age too. Yeah, which is just crazy. Which is insane that, to think about. Yeah, yeah, like he's doing about, that. Yeah, at our age. I know. And then what do we do? Eating McDonald's cheeseburgers. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is funny about the age though. The, the, the sacrifice he had to. He, the yes. amount of sacrifice he had to make to get there, though, that's a lot of. That's like the the level of I'm trying to say the right like it's hard. Like that's where time management really is a skill. Let me tell you, if if I have to keep doing what I'm doing now until I'm dead, I'm not. I ain't gonna live. You're not too lasting long. long. <laughs> I ain't lasting. I ain't lasting too long. But like I, I'm in the same boat as you, John. Where it's like I am. I want to work as hard as I can, basically in my twenties. Where I can then hopefully you know get it to a point where I'm I'm a division three head coach, I am uh, doing team mental toughness and hopefully I got a wife and kids and like I'm actually able to spend time with them and spend time with family. Um, but like I just you know it's 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 sort of like you know you're paying your dues right now while you're young and like you know some some people and I have friends that like this too. Some people are good enough. They can go out on the weekends and party and then they go to the nine to five and they still make 60, 70 K like, and there's nothing wrong with that at the same time, but at like, no, no, not at all. Not, not at all. Like some, sometimes I, I, I even think I'm driving, you know, I'm driving in the car back here and I'm like, man, maybe I should just get a desk job. Maybe maybe. I should just, and then, and then I'm starting to think about like, would I actually be happier? Probably not because I'm giving up the thing I love the most in life. And and that's coaching and coaching. I can tell you more. I've, you know, I've worked the nine to five that I don't, enjoy as much as i would pursuing something mm-hmm. one of these things full-time 100 percent, the money is not you know the extra bit of money it ain't, it ain't gonna make you happier yeah you doing what you're doing every day and loving it that's that's really what it's all about like that's why we're here mm-hmm. yeah obviously yeah, it helps if a little more money is of course of course and like for me it's like you know while while i'm young it's like why not go chase it um, and then if it gets to that point where it's like, I'm not making enough money in coaching, like I'll, I'll make that decision. But like, there's no point for me at 23 to be like, I got to go get money now. Like I'm going to have my whole life to get money. And I, maybe it's me being cocky, but I, I'm pretty confident that I can, if I really needed to, I can get out of, get out of coaching and go get like a virtual marketing job that pays $50,000 a year and, and be totally fine after that. Like, it's like, why not try to just put all my 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 uh what's the say marbles in one basket i don't know what the heck i'm saying but no no right in one basket and and try to actually go out um and and be really successful in it and like the the work you do now like it's it's cliche but like it's it's not going to go unnoticed like it's like karma is probably like a real thing man you put the work in now and you're not going to worry about the money just put your head down for a couple years you're probably going to be really happy with where you are in the next three to four years. And that's kind of what I'm kind of banking on, um, which would be, which would be great. I mean, I hope to, I, I hope to be a division three head coach before 28. That would be, that would be huge. Um, and it would make me one of the younger, youngest guys. So that's kind of what I'm striving for. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Something, yeah. Something before, before we wrap up that my, my dad always said to me is, uh everything comes with a price Mm. so like if you if you want to be if you want to be somewhere in specific at some point in your life there are decisions and most likely hard decisions that you will have to make in order to allow you to potentially get to that point right Mm -hmm. like there are things that are gonna suck that you might have to miss or 
things that like I don't know. Like you're gonna have to make a few tough calls along the way, but and like there is, you can't really get anything in your life, whether it's a material good or or not, without without giving up something, right? So, I feel like I feel like your your story so far has just has been like another story of someone on their path to their goals. So, I mean, I I loved hearing it, and I. I I hope to see you one day on the for sure. uh, sh- giving out some calls for a, for a team uh, on TV. That would be pretty cool to see. And uh, when when you when you are in that position one day, make sure to tell people to hear your humble beginnings on uh, the Black Box podcast. Oh, I will. I will. I won't forget. It'll be the first thing I mention. <laughs> yeah, man. No, no. I'm definitely looking forward to continuing to watch you from a distance on your journey it's been awesome like even though we haven't spoken in a while i've been watching you on instagram doing really good stuff and yeah no it's i mean it's, it's been a lot of fun and I've, I've i've seen you seen you you on instagram too so it's been fun to to, to watch you there um good hopefully you can uh learn a little bit from some of these guests too that's the whole point <laughs> i just want to provide value you know for sure man no this is awesome and like th- these type of podcasts like they they really help people that listen that that want to start something and I'm you know I'm really happy you asked me to be on it. Um, like I was scrolling it, through Instagram, I saw you and I was like, yo, why have I even thought of this? <laughs> yeah, what's it's heck, a unique. Man? It's we haven't brought up sports it. much either. We, uh, I mean, we brought up uh, like athletes, but not from the coaching side. So I'm glad I got you. To do that. I got you. And then I, I guess you know before I before shout all I get, your stuff out. Yeah, yeah. Before I go, the last thing I got to get my marketing in. So um, I know we talked about mental toughness a lot. We got a GoFundMe link. Hopefully you can post it. You know, everything yeah. that people donate, it's going to, you know, it doesn't go in my pocket. I, I'll tell you that much. It goes to, to Funny Team, helping with hotels, travel, food while we're there, getting the basketball court to practice on, for example. Um, and then we're, we're going to do different, uh, actually, fundraisers and basketball camps. If you want to just tag along, even if you're not going to come, um, follow our social media accounts. There's Toughness TBT for Instagram and Twitter follow along there please like and share our stuff it would be awesome um we're just we're just getting started we got a couple hundred followers for for both accounts but like i think the sky's the limit for us and and we got a really cool graphics guy too so we're going to be doing a bunch of cool stuff in the future um so i think it'd be really cool if, if anyone listening wants to tag along and just follow the journey like like we all do and um if you, even if you give a dollar five dollars ten dollars like it's going to go a long way like that's that's kind of how we did it last year and we raised almost just five thousand dollars from the gofundme alone and just from people giving ten dollars and it all adds up so anything anything uh someone can give you know it's ne- it's never too small awesome yeah no hopefully and if you do put black box on it so we know that we got some people to support and come through for sure no and, and obviously once you guys share this stuff i'll i'll put it on all the all the mental toughness accounts and hopefully, you know, get a couple followers from that and, uh, and all that good stuff. As always, you guys know where to reach us. Black box podcast, no way in the black on Instagram and Twitter, uh, black box podcast with an A in the black on TikTok. slide through in the DMS on, or not our DMS on, through our email, black box submission at gmail.com. We love you. Thank you. And we'll see you next time. Peace.